now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Angie Finnamore. Angie had a near-death experience where she saw God and Jesus, and today we're going to talk about it. Angie, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day yours happened? Sure. So we're talking a very, very long time ago, um, 1991. It was January of 1991, actually. And I was pretty much done (laughs) with life and um, decided to take matters into my own hands and did not have the experience I was expecting. So this was... um, Right just before that explosion of near-death experiences, just a few years before that um, happened. And I'd had um I had a stepmom who'd had a near-death experience. She was in a car accident um years and years before I knew her. And she'd had a near-death experience and she had gone to the corner of the room um in the ER while they're working on her, and she's watching the doctor say things like she's not gonna make it. She lost a, a, a full-term baby in that car accident as well. And she had all these conversations. So she went to the corner of the room. So that was my context, you know, for nerd, for like what happens when you die. <laughs> and so that's what I expected was to go to the room, go to the corner of the room and watch it all, you know, going down. And that wasn't how it went for me. I um, was laying there on the couch and as I, as I felt myself separating from my body, I closed my eyes and all of a sudden I was like, you know, in this experience where I'm surrounded by this yellow like membrane. And I understood this later, but in the moment I did not. And I'll tell you about that in a second and with all these red lines running through it, but I wanted to watch And so I opened my eyes expecting to see myself from the corner of the room and I could feel myself just like suck right back in my body. Like I'd been out of my body. So I um, closed my eyes and I did this a couple of times and finally realized I have to will this, that that was an element was willing it. And so I finally just gave myself over to it. I had swallowed everything in the medicine cabinet is what I'd done. And um, as soon as I like really walked into that, stepped into that experience, I was surrounded by this yellow membrane with these red lines running through it. And I was like this and being squeezed. And then suddenly I'm in somebody's arms looking up at this woman who looks just like me, by the way. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, that was my birth. I actually experienced my birth. So that was the very, very first thing that happened during my near-death experience was I went right into the life review. And that was my very first memory of being born. And this woman is is holding me. And this is my mother. And I look just like my mother, by the way. So I was kind of confused because... I was experiencing everything. I was experiencing this woman's emotions. I was experiencing my mind, my, my own as this newborn. I was experiencing all the emotions of, you know, everybody around me as well, experiencing it all. 
And my, um, the thing was, is my mother was only 18 when I was born and I had believed that she didn't want me. And in that moment, I really got loud and clear. Um, she loved me. And so then I moved right into what they call the life review. And it was just one memory after another, but it was my whole life just, just moved right through it. And at some point during this experiencing every part of my life from multiple points of view, not just my own, but at some point I realized it's like in front of me on a screen and um, that I was experiencing it almost like 3d, you know, um, and then it came all the way abruptly to the end where there I was lying on the couch. Um, and I heard a voice, I was surrounded by darkness and then I heard a voice and I could feel a presence next to me. And this presence said to me, this is your life. This is the life you lived. That was it. There was no drama about it. There was no, you know, just, this is it matter of fact. And so I realized at that point that I was dead. So I, um, I looked, I, I swung my head around looking for my grandmother who had passed a cousin of mine who had passed when she was a child, um, you know, loved ones that had passed on and I was surrounded by darkness and it was, it was the kind of darkness um, that's like in space where you can see but it's an absence of light. So it's not like your room, your bedroom and me like trying to, you know, walk the, the path out here in Alaska where there's no light like that. It was the kind of light where you no light, but you can see, does this make sense? Everything was clear. And as I swung my head to the right, there was a line of teenagers next to me. I said, Oh, um, I know exactly <laughs> what happened to them, what they're experiencing, um, because they were empty. There was nothing there. And there was about six of them. And um, the kid next to me, um, he looked down at me and then he looked away and, but like acknowledged that basically he heard my thoughts and there was a girl on the end. She must've been about 16, just really empty And I just thought, what in the world would prompt, you know, a kid, you've got so much life ahead of you to make that choice. And the minute I had that thought, I was out of there and they were, they were, I was, they were behind, like gone. And I moved probably at the speed of light. I have no idea, upright position through this darkness like this until I came to a place where and it was very quick where there was like this beltway below and it extended for as far as I could see on the left and it was about I would say 30 to 50 feet deep something like that across this way and it was invisible yet it was there so and there was it was filled with people and all these people were um in robes, just like white robes, but they were dirty. And I thought that was odd. And then, um, so I lit down into this space and there were others that were dropping in as well to the right. But um, I'm standing there looking around and 
you know, the thing I noticed immediately was that nobody was communicating with each other. Everybody was very, very disconnected and very wrapped up in themselves, by the way. Um, like some people were talking, but they were saying things like, you know, if only you had done so-and-so, then I wouldn't have had to do this. Like very, very egocentric, everybody. And there was this mist of darkness surrounding us all. And it had, um, so this darkness had like this molecular quality and uh, this energy, this almost like a, a life about it, except for that it wasn't pulling for life. It was pulling for death. And um, there was a guy um, squatting, looking at me. He was the only one that noticed me. So I was looking at him. And that was when I realized I was seeing in grayscale because I knew his eyes were blue. And yet I was seeing gray. I knew he'd been there a long time. Um, and I knew how he had gotten there. And uh, so I wondered to myself if this was Judas Iscariot. And that thought, it took me a while to realize, like I didn't realize until, you know, a long time later that it was each thought that I had that actually prompted the next part of the experience for me and likely why I got to come back and others don't. Um, so I had this, this thought about this, this man that, and then suddenly there was a pinpoint of light in the distance, like a star. And it traveled to me at tremendous speed and stopped some distance. Like I knew that it couldn't come in where I was and I could see that this was a being and it was, uh, this being was made of light like made of light. And I knew this to be my father in heaven, God, my creator. And um, so I'm just standing there kind of dumbfounded. And he says to me, is this what you really want? And it didn't occur to me that I had a choice. Like I felt like this was the only thing that I could do at the time. And um, then he said, you, you, you know, you can't skip over your, your parts, parts of your life. And because I was just very clear, my life is so hard, I can't do this. And um, he said, you know, we've all done it. It's not, it's not supposed to be easy. And um, so in that moment, I hear another voice. And it's the same voice that was with me at the very, very beginning of the experience, it was standing next to me, but I couldn't see this being next to me during my life review. I could hear his voice and I hear his voice. And he says to me, don't you understand? I did this for you. And I could see pinpricks of light coming through the darkness, but I could tell that there was some kind of an invisible barrier. I couldn't actually see him. Whereas God, the father was made of light. His robes were flowing. His hair was flowing. He was just made of love and light. And um, anyway, so when Christ said, don't you understand? I did this for you. Suddenly, I was experiencing from multiple points of view. I was still in this darkness, looking out of this darkness at these two beings. But I was also behind them and watching 
that direction. Like I could see myself in this, you know, beltway area and I could see God, the father and Christ next to each other. And I could see Christ download basically my life and communicate. She doesn't understand and like pass my life on to God, this entity, God. And I was also inside of Christ's body in the garden of Gethsemane, experiencing him experiencing my life as if it was his own. So in that moment, I got like, there was another, there was another being that understood what I'd gone through and how I got to this point where I would do something like this. And, um, you know, I was a young mother at the time. Uh, I had two little boys. And, you know, even so, even though Christ understood, um, I still didn't feel like I could do this. And so then I was shown what would happen to my two boys. I have five kids now, and they're all grown. I have grandchildren, but I had my two oldest at the time, and they were five and two years old. And I was shown what would happen to them without me. Um, So my oldest was taken to be about, I saw his life like a roller coaster, just like the emotional parts, almost like my life review, Um, just very quickly up until about 21 years old. And he was just filled with darkness and rendered completely incapable of doing anything he was meant to do here and um, without his mom. And then my second child got to be about seven or eight and was taken because he couldn't do this life without me. And in that moment, that's what it took for me to choose to opt back in. And I just like uttered, not even words really. It was just like this thought, this teeny tiny, okay, that was it. And I was up out of this dark place and looking at it from above and watching all these spirits like dropping in, dropping in, you know, filling it in, filling it in. And I was surrounded by these beings of light just like this, like flying past me. And so I asked the question in my mind, what is this? And I'm told, well, they're helping you. (laughs) And they have been the whole time. Mm -hmm. They're helping you. And um, the the earth is getting prepared, is being prepared. Now it was shown that we don't get past. um, So this was back in 1991, that um, we don't get past the year 2015, that there isn't a shift in consciousness on the planet and um, like an awakening. And I saw it, I saw it happen in 2013 where everything started to change and um, you know, all the things that we're seeing, the earth has got the flu basically, (laughs) you know, and it has to just like get rid of jettison all the darkness that, you know, we human beings partake in upon the earth it it creates illness for the earth as well and i was shown all these things just packed this suitcase basically the spiritual suitcases i went back through this darkness and back down into my body and i opened my eyes and um i could still feel the effects of all the medication and um i sat up i swung my legs down 
and looked around the room by by uh, house plants were made of light there was this light emanating from the tv which was in the room with me but it was like all the information that all the good information all the information was like almost like past present future present there and then um put my hand on the couch and uh i could see the molecules i could see on a molecular level i could see the molecules all around me like the couch we're couch serving you serving god we are plants serving you serving god we are like matter organized we are table serving you serving god and i could see that it's like nothing here is by accident it's all by intention and design and we all choose we all participated in choosing you know what we got dealt and so needless to say you don't come back the same person um after some after an experience like that but um so there there you have it there it is in a nutshell thank you for sharing that with us do you think like you were in hell or your own personal hell that you created Oh, yeah. The interesting thing is, is that, you know, I've become more a student, basically. It's not like having a near-death experience, all of a sudden you're the, you know, the keeper of all truths. And you know what I mean? It's like, you don't have all that. It's like, my near-death experience is different than anybody else's near-death experience that aren't this, it's not, you know what I mean? And so, I have a lot of curiosity about all of this as well. Um, and I have a feeling that if I were to have another near death experience, which is where you, you know, pass on and come back, (laughs) it'd be different, that it'd be completely different. Mm -hmm. I do believe just based on, you know, my own, this is just, this is me like poking at it and just, I don't know, I don't have the answer to this, but I do believe that I actually had the near death experience that. I would have at that time because I believe it was fed like by me. Like I think I created a lot of that because that was, I think that's just a, a testament to how merciful God is, is that you get exactly what you need. I mean, exactly. Well, how could that you know happen if I'm not helping to create that experience? You know what I'm saying? I mean, even Christ himself, he experienced my life from my point of view as if he was me. That's how he knew. And he had to transfer that information to God the Father. So that leads me to believe that my near-death experience had everything to do with my truths at the time. What do you think yeah. about all the people that you saw on the Beltway? Was that something that yeah. you – do you think you created that? Or do you think those were just other spiritual beings out there also in their own personal sure. hell? Yeah. So for for one thing, time isn't real. Time is absolutely the rotation of the planets. And it's even in physical form, time is different in a different location in our solar system. You know, it's not it's not real. And so this experience of like eternal, you, you know, that's not – that's not a time stamp, a time measurement. So yeah, it was it was not good, and mm. you don't ever want to go this way. Okay, 
Um, the suffering is far worse than anything that I've ever experienced in this life and that we humans can experience in this life. It's beyond that. However, what I really feel like it is, is that we're working out, I mean, for lack of, of better language, because language doesn't, human language doesn't match this, but we're working out our salvation is mm. what we do when we go to the other side in that kind of a state. Mm. It's like they were working it out. And the same way that I was having this conversation with Christ, who says that they aren't also mm. actually having a conversation with Christ? instead of mumbling to themselves just because I couldn't see. And by the way, that man that was squatting next to me and looking at me, he sees me having this conversation. He looks, he sees nothing, I assume, because he didn't engage and he looks back at me and just looks this way and that way. So I think that everybody was having their own conversation. Christ. Were you a Christian before your experience? And if not, or if so. So I was LDS at the time. Yeah, I was Mormon at the time. You were Mormon at the time. So I had a very Mormon experience. Yeah. So it was was very, very much meshed with, you know, Mormon ideology. Mm. Um, But there were things that were not Mormon. It's Mm. like, for one thing, on my way in, I heard the word purgatory. Well, that's a Catholic term. I've never been Catholic. Mm. I've never practiced Catholicism. I don't know. You know, I don't know why I would get that. And then on my way back, um, I heard the words um, um, out of small things. It's small things comes that which is great, which is a Mormon scripture from the Book of Mormon. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I personally, me personally, I think multiple things can be true Hmm. at once. Did that. I, I don't believe in an absolute Have you become more involved with your Mormon faith after the experience? Yeah, no, I, 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 um, so I've stepped away about, about 10, 15 years ago. But so what I practice is, um, I moved to Alaska <laughs> and, and I walk. <laughs> I, this is my yeah so i'm not I'm, i i don't need to gather in a church with other people like i don't get a lot of juice out of that mm-hmm. however i do believe that people do right and i do believe in where two or more are gathered you know there am i i do believe that you know with you know with god and that i think that's undeniable that people have a heightened spiritual experience with others. And I've practiced all kinds of things. Um, I've received the Tao. I've um, practiced, Na- practiced Native American religion. I've, you know, I've, I've like tried on a lot of different things. And what I, what I overall see is the connection between all these religions that so much of it is identical. You know, it's actually identical. It just got, it just has different names. And so, I'm like, hey, if it does no harm and it serves you, it helps you, it supports you, get on that horse and ride it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I believe is like, who is to say that this one is true and this one is not? I believe, I think we all have. In what other ways have you changed after your experience? Yeah, it's hard to judge anybody for very long. That's for sure. 
you know, it's, it's like, we're all just doing our best with what we got. It's like, um, it's like my mom, for example. Um, so my mom, she left us when I was nine, my, my younger sister and I enjoyed the cult and there were horrible things that happened there that, you know, we experienced and we were witness to. And then my father went off the deep end and was alcoholic and my sister and I and, you know, not taken care of. And then our stepmother was, you know, not equipped to have two little girls. Well, I could look at all of that and say, yeah, well, okay, that justifies certain behavior. That justifies also like depression, anxiety. It justifies it all, right? Or I could, it, it, the thing is, is if we're going to exonerate ourselves for anything at all, you've got to be willing to look at everybody else and realize we're all just doing the best we can with what we got. If I got my mother's DNA, and her parents, I know I have half of it. Okay. But if I got all of her DNA, if I got her parents and I was raised in exactly the same circumstances and I experienced every moment of her life, the way she experienced it. And it went through and got processed through, you know, like my brain, her brain, everything identical. I would have made the same choices that she made. And that is true for anybody, anybody that you want to judge and say, yeah, well, I wouldn't do that. Or that person doesn't deserve my compassion. I promise you, if you got all of it, every single moment, you would have done the same thing that they did that you're judging. So, and we're all just walking around with our Sunday smiles and our Sunday dresses, pretending everything's fine. (laughs) That's most people. They're all just so worried, you know, and I just don't, like, Number one, I don't care. <laughs> it's bigger fish to fry, seriously. You know, bigger problems. And um, so it's really, it's really hard. I like I'll have momentary, eh, whatever. But yeah, I also don't. Um, I'm also less inclined also to withhold, you know, my true feelings too, you know, like I'll say, I'll say things that get me in trouble as well. <laughs> Besides not judging. <laughs> so yeah, that's different. And then um, just being grateful. That's huge, like daily grateful. Um, and then also like the move here. I've lived my whole life since that near death experience. Like, okay, well, hey, let's try this on. We literally, we ran a writer's retreat. So I'm a writing coach and um, a really good writing coach. And we ran a uh, writer's retreat out here and literally went home and put our house on the market, <laughs> sold everything. And we were here three months later. You know, who does that? somebody who has had a near-death experience who happens to be married to the greatest guy on the planet (laughs) too so it's it's like i don't live in a lot of fear it's not like i don't have fear okay i don't want you to like i don't want to paint that picture like oh it's all roses no i'm still human but i certainly i certainly live like um far more interested in joy and peace joy and peace are far more 
interesting to me <laughs> and love than competition. Do you have any negative after effects from your experience that you have to manage? Um, some negative. So that's um, it's kind of uh, open to interpretation. Um, but I it did open the window so that I see. I see dead people. <laughs> so there's that, um, which can be, um, that can be kind of interesting sometimes when I go stay someplace haunted. Like I stayed at the Stanley where Stephen King wrote The Shining, you know, in Colorado. Um, and I stayed in um, a bed and breakfast in New Orleans on Bourbon Street in, in Gettysburg. And, you know, when I go to some of these places, Pennsylvania was crazy. So for me, my eyes are open and they know on the other side that I could see them. So they interact with me, but I really came to a, a place where um, they're just, I really got that they're just trying to work out their stuff. You know, like when I was in Gettysburg, we stayed, we, um, I stayed at the Farnsworth, which is where the Battle of Gettysburg came to a head. And it happened to be a night where they were having a ghost tour. And at the end, you get to go up to the attic and they've built in these benches across and where you can just sit there and then they cut you loose to go explore the house. And so I'm sitting there on the bench and there are some amateur ghost hunters there the same mm -hmm. night and they pull a chair up and they've got their little flashlight and they're turning it and they're like, can you hear us? And then uh, you know, do you know you're dead? And as soon as they say, do you know you're, you're dead? I feel this entity come through the room like this, like angry. And everybody else says that a door slammed all by itself. I don't know. I don't remember that. I didn't experience that, but I felt this entity come into the room. And then all of a sudden I'm talking <laughs> and they're asking questions like, you know, what's your name? Do you have any children? And I say, and I say, his name is Thomas and he's 21 and he's got a baby girl. And yeah, he knows he's dead. He wants you to get what he gave his life for. And so then I'm checking in with the ghost hunters because this is odd, right? Mm. And I'm checking with or the, not the ghost hunters, but the, um, the guys that are running this, this operation, right? The ghost shoe. And they say, yep there were three sharpshooters that were up in the attic and um, there was only one civilian killed in the battle of Gettysburg and our friend Thomas killed this girl and they hung him for it. Mm. So it's like that. So, but Thomas needed to be gotten, you know, he needed to have the experience that what he gave his life to mattered. And it was the same kind of thing. in um, when I was in, uh, Louisiana uh, I was sick and coughing and like half in half out delirious white sheets blood's coming out my mouth and this little girl is above me and she's just rolling her life out through me like I'm a projector the room looks entirely different and then I snap out of it there's no blood but you know I do a little search on the internet like you know yellow fever and that is what happened to people when they died from yellow fever. So then I do the research and find out, yeah, there's this little girl that, yep. Hmm. Anyway, so there's that kind of thing, <laughs> the byproduct. 
do you have any other abilities that you didn't have before besides those? Um, so there's also the writing. <laughs> the I so I have the ability to see what works in a story. And so as a writing coach, um, but it's more than that. It's that I, I've been able to de- deconstruct, reverse engineer what bestsellers do, hmm. all genres. And so it's kind of the superpower that I can train other people to do that. So it's not like you need me, all-powerful Angie, to help you write your book. It's like I can train people in how to see that magic and be able to produce it over and over and over again. So there's that. Um, and that was new. So seeing on a molecular level, I still have that ability where, where it's not as there have been times when it is pronounced where I see light, like actual physical light and it's like trees or sentinels. Um, But I can see it in, I can see it in human beings, you know, Mm. I can, I can see when there's um, a sadness there or when somebody has uh, done something that is like violates our human contracts with each other. I can see that. You said they're human contract with each other. Yeah. We all have this contracts, these contracts with each other. And I can see when somebody's done something hard, what we would say is horrible. We'd Mm. call it horrible. Mm. Has this experience faded over the years or is it still there with you like the day that it happened? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's been what? What year is this now? 2021? Yeah, so 30 years. So we're talking 30 years. You would think something like that would fade 30 years later, but no. That's the interesting thing about it is it's still like it happened. Mm. Not like a dream. It's like, you know, you have memories of things that happened 30 years ago. Certainly, right? But not like, not like this, like the vivid detail. What do you think inspires you about your experience? I feel like I was so blessed, you know, that I got to come back. It's like those two kids (laughs) that were five and two are now 35 and 30, um, 32. And the oldest is he's married. He's got three lovely children and he's a nurse and he's looking at medical school and you know it's like we talk all night long sometimes because he works the night shift i tend to be a night owl and i wouldn't you know i can't even imagine having impacted his life like one stupid moment one stupid like seriously and just all the lives that he touches now you know just the impact and that's just one Right. And then my second child is just like, you know, he's just amazing. He's married too and um, has a house with my third child who would have never been born. And then there's two more after that that would have never been born. And that's just my little pocket. It's, I just can't even imagine all the lives. You know, it's just, you hear people talk about that ripple effect. 
We have no idea. Everything we do, a smile can alter, you know, the future 10 years down the road. A smile impacts, you know, people's lives. It's so, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot your question, but that's like, that's the big takeaway right there. I think it's great. When you first got out of your body, you were in a place that I think you said it was orange with red stripes, or at least something with red stripes. What did that mean to you with those red stripes? At the time, I didn't know what that was. It took me a couple of weeks, and then I realized it was my mother's birth canal. (laughs) It was me being born, like I'm surrounded by this membrane and these red capillaries. Mm. It was my birth. So you were already, but I was experiencing it. Yeah. But I was experiencing this incredible euphoria. And then when I talked to her later, she told me that they used to give um, women twilight sleep, by the way, is what they called it. And that she thought the doctor was incredibly handsome. Everything was wonderful. You know, so I almost wonder if like, while I was experiencing this joy to be born, I was also experiencing the effects of what, my mother was given when she was giving birth to me, but I was experiencing her point of view and my point of view, this love and this desire to bring this child into the world, you know? Yeah. Did you ever speak to your yeah. stepmom about your experience and compare yours with hers to her? Yeah. Well, we, um, yeah, she had told me about hers, but I did talk to her um, before when the book was coming out, when I wrote Beyond the Darkness, because I wanted to, I feel, I felt like um, if I'm going to quote God, it better be accurate, <laughs> number one. And I want to tell this story with compassion. And there were so many people in my life that I knew it was going to, it was going to hurt them, you know, and how do I tell the truth without hurting these people? Cause it was not my intention. And the thing is, is you can't tell a story. You can't just skip to the end. It doesn't work. Human beings don't work that way. Books don't work that way. It's like in order for it to make sense to the reader who I actually want to make a difference for, they have to understand how I get there, which meant that I had to tell some of the truths about my life from my point of view, mm-hmm. right? Which meant that I was in contact with everybody, including my stepmother. And so, yeah, she had um, she had conversations with other people on the other side. Uh, her um, grandfather, I believe. And she saw her unborn baby um, as a, like as a, an adult, like a 20 ish year old on the other side. But she was, she said she was gone like that long, not very long. So you have a book out called beyond the darkness, which I'm assuming is, you know, your is the story of your experience. Do you write other books as well, or is, or is that just I one book? I do. Yeah. No, I do. And um, so that's the big one, though. Beyond the Darkness is the big one, and it's about to be re-released. But you can still find it. You can go to Amazon, and mm-hmm. you can find it in the aftermarket. There's lots of, of copies out there. Um, and um, But it'll be re-released in, uh, I think we're looking at about six months from now. All right. And so what other books have you written? So there are a lot of them. So I have a pen name, so I can't really, I can't okay. really Uh-oh. reveal that. But I, I, I write investigative nonfiction. Investigative nonfiction. Stuff that opens with murders. 
generally. <laughs> okay. Kind of like, I guess, that NCIS type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by that. Like in another life, I would have been, I don't know, a medical examiner mm-hmm. or something. Were you trained as a writer or do you feel like you got the ability of being a writer due to your experience? So definitely it was enhanced by the experience, but James Fenimore Cooper is a relative, Louisa May Alcott. I don't have relatives that don't write. Fenimore's write. We all write. And um, most of us do. Um, but like when my dad passed um, 20 years ago and my sister and I were going through his, his things, you know, and figuring out what we're going to keep and who gets what. There was this satchel, a couple of them, full of poetry. Poetry and patents. He invented mm. vice scripts, apparently. And um, yeah, just like real creative. So I did write before, but there was this uh, clarity that mm. came. Just like with everything. There's, it's just a clarity. Fog gone. Mm. You know, to mm. see. Do you believe in reincarnation or do you believe like once you do die and you stay, that's it. You're there forever. I don't, yeah, I don't have a clue Hmm. because I didn't get far enough to know. Um, And I'll, it's, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me how it goes. I just have, what I have is faith in the way, like whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe some people get reincarnated. Some maybe some people who don't believe in it don't. I have no idea. Mm. I have no idea. What I'm certain of is that no two truths are the same. And so, mm, that's an interesting yeah. way. And I'm, yeah. So I'll be, I'll be. I'm curious about it, but I actually don't have to know. I'm just. I'm good. good. It doesn't matter. It's all good. Well, I find it interesting that you said no two truths are the same. Yeah, truth is a point of view. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get more of an ultimate truth, you've got to get more point of view in there. You know, because like, like, for example, here we go. So this is, this is my, um, holds my my napkins down my stack of napkins this turtle but so you see what do you see you see this yeah i see possibly green. made of stone but it's shiny right right so if you were to describe it you'd call it green you'd say eh, eh, eh. well but on the other side this is what it looks like so i have a different view and it's the same thing but two different views of it. So in order to get to absolute truth, you have to have every single point of view. Right. Not to mention, what does it weigh? What is it? All the things inside, right? So and I, I believe that about truth, that it requires all different points of view in order to get, which is why Christ could have truth about me because he had my point of view mm-hmm. completely. As if it was his own. Do you believe that we're all walking around blinded by our own point of views and we shouldn't be so judgmental? For sure. That would, yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of sheesh, the root of all evil. (laughs) You know, myopathy. (laughs) Yeah. 
and being so concerned about what other people think well newsflash everybody's just concerned what everybody else thinks so quit worrying what everybody else thinks because they're just worried about what you think about them (laughs) truth you know a lot of my near-death experience guests will they feel like when they're over there they're connected to everybody and everything but you kind of seem like you were isolated exactly but like now i have that experience of being connected to all things mm-hmm. you know it's like on the way back you know that's what i started getting loaded up with and then you know as soon as i opened my eyes in my physical body it's like that's when i could see the connection and everything it's like i see like everything is connected it's the flow of energy the exchange of energy that is life right like you can see this in the wind you see it in the waters on the planet you can see it in a body blood moving you know that's life air in and out when that stops it stops being alive and it's the same thing with energy it's the same thing with love you have to give that away in order to receive because life happens in the exchange of energy mm-hmm. and it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Everything's connected. Completely connected. So it sounded like that you are under the religion of Alaskanism. Do you feel like you can walk through the forest and connect with God and or Jesus when doing that? Okay, so it's like present always, constant. It's always here. So what we have done as human beings is we have traded our souls for convenience. We have traded our spiritual, physical, emotional health for convenience. The more that we make life convenient. So how do we do that? We pour concrete and we, you know, put walls up with a washing machine in there with a car with tires. All these things separate us from the earth. And then when there are more of us, what do we do? We build higher and we create more of a separation from this ground, this earth that gives us life and so it's just like you can't escape it i wake up with this smile you know i all day it's like it's in it's in it's in the substance here in the air it's like literally in the water how you know it's like water that is the vehicle by which things transport, like life giving things transport on water. And it's, I don't know, a hundred inches a year or something here. Mm. It's constant. And it's and it's hard, hard, hard work. Being here is hard work. Um, it's it's no easy thing to have a shower. It's like you have to source that water mm-hmm. and to have power. It's like you know, we spent two months just trying to get water and power. And, um, but it's, a, it's so good work. These, there's something about convenience and having things be convenient that, that is making us ill, human beings mm-hmm. ill. We're not, we're not meant to live stacked on top of each other. We're not meant for it so easy. I believe you had some type of vision or something that you felt like the world was going to end in 2015. 
you can probably explain it so, better. You can explain it better than I yeah. can. But what did you mean and by you, that? And and where are we within that? So it's not that the world ends in 2015. It's that what I saw in 1991 was uh, this build up of rife of like this battle between darkness and light of you know horrible stuff happening on our planet to our planet to each other you know all of it but like you know you guys don't need an education and what's wrong with our world you can mm-hmm. see it it's obvious right and what i saw is that it comes to a head no later than t- 2015 where it won't be tolerated anymore so the earth won't tolerate it anymore and i mean the earth has a living spirit we all have we're all made of of, if we're here on this planet we have a physical form a spiritual form and light or darkness which is constantly shifting inside of us all the time based on what we do and say so the earth also has those three elements so the earth has a spirit and we're all connected to this earth and some of us are not, most of us are not, because we've separated ourselves just by virtue of pouring concrete on over the earth, you know, but that by 2015, we didn't get past 2015 without a shift where it wouldn't be tolerated. The earth wouldn't tolerate it anymore. And I wasn't given details about what that would look like, but I saw it come. I saw it happen in 2013. There was an awakening. And this is where, like, all, everything that is happening now, where people don't tolerate things anymore. It's like, everyone has a voice now, you'll notice, right? And if they don't, let me tell you, they're getting it right now. It's a different world than it was in 2013. And that was when it began. People started opening up spiritually and seeing the way I see before 2013, I could say, yeah, I could see on a molecular level, like the couch was like vibrating. We're couch serving you serving God. And people would think I was nuts after 2013 people go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's like, there was this shift in consciousness that happened. And I wasn't exactly sure what we were looking for. I just knew, we don't get past 2015, that the earth won't tolerate it. Mm. Well, because there's opposition in all things, and because there is this explosion of light, there is also the darkness that gets squeezed out too, because you can't have one without the other. There, You can't. You cannot separate them. Whenever there is light, there will be darkness. There will be the balance, because that is the way of life, if there's life. What do you think the outcome will be of all this? No, I have no idea. No idea. Like, no idea. Because it's inter- it's interactive. We get to say, you know, we're, we're, we're participating in this. And we all have complete agency. We choose. We choose, choose, choose everything. Even when you think you're not choosing, you're choosing. Yeah. You know, everybody's always choosing. And so it, it's completely interactive. So mm. I have no idea. Mm. I don't think any, I don't think it's known. I don't think it is a known thing. I think that how it turns out 
exists inside of like God doesn't even know. Well, I've got to switch gears on you because I'm running out of time. Um, so we know your book you can get at Bar- I mean, not at Barnes and Nobles, well, maybe Barnes and Nobles, but you can get it at Amazon and that's called Beyond the Darkness. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have a website that you would like to plug or anything? Sure. There's Calliope Writing Coach, um, which is pretty stinking awesome. And mm. um, you can follow me on social media. I'm everywhere. Angie mm. Fenimore. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and um, Pinterest, um, Instagram, all of them. I'm about to do TikTok as well um my husband and i are working on a book called how the blank did we get here mm-hmm. and um we're also uh embarking on relationship coaching we do a whole lot of book coaching and we're taking those tools that are so life-changing and applying them to relationships of any and all kinds and so we'll be doing a youtube channel as well called how the blank did we get here right, and great. so yeah those things are in the works, but Calliope writing coach and you can find me anywhere. I'm also at Angie All right. Well, whenever you get your YouTube up and running, be sure to send me the link and then I can come back to this video yeah. and put it in the description. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. After listening to this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they do that? Oh, For sure. So I kind of like to uh, record my responses, videotape my responses, and then put it out there on my YouTube channel Mm. so that everybody can benefit, you know, because I do get a lot of the same questions. But even if it's a private question, that's fine too. But if you email me at Angie at AngieFenimore.com, that's about the best way. That's a great idea for the YouTube channel. Yeah. Before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? Life is, it is meant to be up and down. You're not alive if you're not like the in, the out, you know? You can't breathe in without breathing out. You can't have greatness in your life without having those dips. That's part of the experience. And so whenever you're having a moment you think is like, you're not going to get through that, breathe, call somebody, reach out, don't stay there. Okay. I have agreements with people in my life. Like, yeah, I will call my sister. My sister and I have this agreement. We call each other. Create a contract with somebody else that you're going to call if you, you know, get so down that you're concerned you might do something because you know what you make that decision and you can't unmake it and i promise you you'll wish you hadn't Mm. (laughs) so there you go i don't know if that was upbeat enough but that's the message Mm. yeah well thank you for that just be alive be alive well angie thank you i have these tattoos i got i gotta show you okay so these are my tattoos uh-huh. It says surrender in Sanskrit when I put it together. Okay. Oh, wow. That's the message. Surrender. Give yourself to life, no matter what it looks like. Ride the roller coaster with your hands in the air. There hmm. you go. Well, Angie, thank you for that message. And thank you so much for taking out some of your time today to share with us. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's Mm -hmm. been such a pleasure.